Welcome to the Renegade Report from the third largest economy in Africa. Who knows? By the time you hear this, it could be the fourth. Ramon? It, it, it probably is the fifth or sixth at the moment. By now. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you know you aren't succeeding in government if you're not losing ground. Breaking news. Everyone else. Uh, we've been taken over by Zaire. Oh, wait. Congo. Sorry. <laughs> Bloody colonialist. All right. So uh, let's get on with it. Uh, actually, before we do... Um, some delicious, delicious wine from uh, Noble Savage. Noble Savage Wines. What a name. I mean, of course they would send it to us. Yeah, um, we're, uh, we're going to be lobbying them to, uh, to get in on, on the show because Noble Savage Wines, what a, what a, what a legend of a name, great wine. Uh, and uh, the, invoice, the invoice did say to those bastards at the Renegade Report, which we approve of, of course. Yeah, well, you know, that's perfectly fine with us. So, uh, uh, we are at the bastards. It's Come just on. words, really. Words don't matter uh, For some um, But yes, well, thank you very much, Noble Savage We will certainly make use of your wine Considering the past few weeks uh, It came at the right time Yeah, so let's uh, let's get on with it This week uh, On the Renegade Report We have uh, Quentin Ferreira He is a clinical psychologist He works in the state sector His interests um, have been Substance abuse He's done a master's in clinical psychology as well So he's well-read, well-educated, uh, all those things you'd like uh, someone to be speaking on a topic to be. Um, oh, wait, wait. Ramon wants to butt in. And he's Portuguese. So in a country that... No, don't hold that de- against me. No, 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 no. Hold on. They decriminalized all drugs. drugs. Yeah. All yeah. drugs were yeah, so, decriminalized. So yeah. there you go. There you go. We're talking about drugs today. Yep. Um, and it should be a good discussion because, uh, well, let's, let's not put words in Quentin's mouth. Quentin, uh, you want to tell us, a, give us a bit of background about you and how you got interested in this side of the clinical psychology? Well, um, I've had a few dogs in this fight for a couple of years now. Uh, one of the reasons being is that I trained at a substance abuse center, which is subsequently shut, uh, shut down due to lack of funding. Uh, I think they shot themselves in the foot in that regard because they've been pushing the uh, criminalization of substances anytime they can. And that's resulted in a lack of funding for them because the resources go more towards criminalization than it does towards drug treatment. So, Was this a state uh, um, No, it was a private, a private institution, yeah. but it's it's funded by the state pretty much. Uh, they get grants and things oh, like okay. that. So yeah. one of those. So tra- I trained there and then through my work in various communities and various hospital settings, what I've really come to realize is that substance abuse treatment has been segregated from the rest of health in quite a strange way. And I think that's manifested in so many more issues for people with severe psychopathology. And I think someone has to speak up about it. So that's what I'm here to do. So, I mean, to get, to get my um, opinion, I, I do believe purely on, on grounds of liberty that Drugs should be legalized under any circumstances for whatever reason whatsoever. I don't care if it cures cancer or AIDS. Um, people should be allowed to put whatever they want into their body. I know Jonathan slightly disagrees with that. So, doctor? Yeah, look, I've said on the show before, and I, I wrote a piece, I haven't read it recently, uh, many years back, about um, marijuana and the legalization thereof. 
Uh, I think, and my views might have kind of um, matured a bit since then or changed even. Uh, but essentially, uh, I, on the same liberty argument, I would agree. You know, we should we should be uh, so legalizing. I, yeah. We should be legalizing pretty much anything. You should be able to do whatever you like to your own body in your own kind of space, so your home or whatever it is, as long as it doesn't affect anyone else. Um, I think where I have issues is that with certain drugs, there's there's there are other effects so it doesn't health just risks a, involved right? yeah sure, sure not only health risks but it doesn't just affect necessarily the person who takes uh, the drugs um, we can get into the marijuana debate a bit later sure. i know i uh, haven't i'm sure i haven't read as much as you have and and you can smack me down as much as you like i'll take it um but you know there are for example uh, risks for instance of to families for example if you just uh, legalize certain drugs there is some evidence for that there's some evidence against it so you know, we need to look at the facts uh, as best as we can, and yeah. what we have. I mean, the most harmful drug for families is probably alcohol, though. Yeah, I, I, I just—I know you want to get there, sure, <laughs> Quentin, and, and we'll give you. I promise, we'll give you tons of time. The, my, my concern is, is that um, I have a problem. There's a, uh, a, a slight false equivalence with, uh, for instance, marijuana and alcohol, uh, because what you're saying is marijuana is safer than alcohol. Therefore, alcohol is legal. Marijuana should be legal. Uh, I, I don't. Just on how people use alcohol, for example, I don't buy that. So uh, someone will have a glass of wine at the end of a long day, uh, not for the purpose of getting drunk. Uh, and uh, by legal definition, the current laws we have, which I, I don't necessarily agree with anyway, uh, they could go operate heavy machinery after that single glass of wine. Nobody smokes weed uh, not to get high. So I, I, I don't buy that. And, and one of my big objections really to the marijuana is not the legalization. It's the way the lobby is going about legalizing it. So okay. it's the way it's being represented as this is the greatest drug man has ever discovered, which it simply isn't. Um, this is this should be legal for all of these reasons. And many of the reasons I would be fine if they said it should be legal because it should be legal. That's because I should be able to use this drug because you shouldn't tell me what to do with my body. That's a fair argument to me. Saying it should be legal because uh, it's far better to treat cancer than anything we have, bullshit. Uh, and I have evidence for that. Um, there are studies which show, for example, there are better drugs for pain. The fact that patients might prefer it to others, uh, the best it's shown in, in what I've read, for example, on that particular subject, is that it's equivalent to what we have, not necessarily better. So I'm gonna. That's my kind of position um, okay. on drugs. Oh, one other caveat is that I think in places where they've legalized drugs, um, they've they've had the ability to deal with the negative effects that it will have. So we know that everything we do is going to have positives and negatives, mm -hmm. um, even if it's uh, kind of a liberty argument. Um, and I know, having worked in healthcare that psychiatric beds are very few and far between. Definitely. We don't have enough. Yep. That's the bottom line. And not in state, not in private. Um, and so my concern is is if you get this increase as a result of drug abuse, because uh, it is, I don't know if you would agree, but I see it as, as a psychiatric illness. Yes, it um, is. It's a DSM diagnosable absolutely. psychiatric illness. Although sure. I think there's a problem with the way people view it uh, very much and very often in that they uh, – it's funny how we accept 
a person being depressed, but we don't, you know, oh, that's a mental illness. It's something yeah. wrong with their brain. Uh, we don't accept people being we drug addicts. We blame the, the drug addict or the alcoholic for their behavior when in, in a large, to a large extent, it's out of their control, really. Sure. And at this point, the listeners are going, Jonathan, shut the hell up and let Quentin <laughs> speak, so, so go I, for it. To be honest. Quentin, uh, up to you. Well, uh, Jonathan, you know, you did mention health concerns, and I share all of those concerns with you. I think to some extent, you have to accept that the more people you are using drugs, the more associated difficulties society will, will face. But my big gripe really is that we've legislated a health problem into a criminal problem. Why is the criminal system more equipped than the health system to deal with these things? Mm. We know that a substance addiction is a mental illness. And the, the fundamental irony of the whole thing for me is that addiction by its very nature uh, does not respond to negative consequences. You'll hear and see drug addicts who are losing legs because of veins that they've shot up into are now injecting straight into their dicks because they've got to do that. Yeah, they and, don't care that and, they've lost their legs. That's no joke. They properly will inject into their genitalia. Well, for sure. And so to, to say that the state can create um, a criminalized uh, framework to deter people from using drugs fails to fundamentally appreciate what addiction is. Addiction does not respond to negative consequences. So in the, in that sense, I think it's, it's really just not well thought out. Um, but another thing that you, you mentioned was that, you know, you're going to make a law and it's going to have knock on effects. And I think one of the big knock on effects of the, the war against drugs or drug prohibition is that it's created a broader systemic societal framework where people's rights are abused, number one. Uh, not just the right to use substances, but the right to health care in, in some instances. Um, and it's created a huge drug black market, which I think we need to talk about because that's a massive problem. And like I mentioned, the segregation between uh, drug treatment and mainstream psychiatric treatment, if you want to call it that, that's a direct result of the the war on drugs. So uh, a gap opened in the market. We weren't treating people with drug problems as sick people. We were treating them as criminals. A gap opened in the market for rehabs. And yeah, a lot of bad stuff goes on at a lot of rehabs. And I don't think anyone really cares about that. Just give us some insight into that. Well, for instance, so you and I have both worked in, in medical fields. We are registered with the Health Professions Council. We are bound by an ethical code. We've studied for a really long time to do what we do. But any Dick, Tom or Harry can really open a rehab. You can go for like a two-week counseling course, open up a rehab. You can open up a religious-based rehab where you tell people that it's secular, but you force a religious doctrine on them. The Church of Scientology has one. And I just dropped a big ass bomb. So, yeah, for sure. Is it, um, is it, uh, will medical aid pay for that? <laughs> <laughs> medical aid does sometimes pay. You, yeah, I mean, I know there's a sugar addiction they pay for, which, okay. which is an unproven science. Yeah. Uh, yet they will pay for a month. Uh, uh it's not uh, put through as an RCD 10 code of sugar addiction because there is no such thing. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I agree with you. There, there is abuse of, of the, of the sort of rehab system. Yeah. The staff in some cases, look, if there's, a medical doctor or a psychiatrist or a clinical or counseling psychologist with a master's degree at the rehab, I would say it's probably jacked up. But very few places have those kind of people working there. So what you essentially have are people who are often ex-drug addicts and nothing against them. They've gotten clean and, and fair play to them. But just because you're an ex-drug addict doesn't mean you're an expert on mental health, right? It's like saying uh, someone who's had a heart attack must now be a cardiologist. I, found you know? that, I always found that a, a funny way. Maybe you can give um, a bit of feedback on 
you know, when I was at school, they would always invite the ex-drug addict oh, to come yeah. and tell me, don't take heroin. <laughs> and there I see this guy standing in front of me who's now successfully like charging to talk to people, uh, making good money that way because he did, he took drugs and like, I- I'm not sure that's the best deterrent. So, uh, <laughs> what's your view? Well, yeah, I mean, again, that's, it just shows the hypocrisy of the whole, the whole situation really on the subject of drug education. It's probably one of the least effective ways to talk to people. Well, the way that it's done is, is so ineffective. I mean, everyone knows that drugs are harmful, yet people do them. And I guess that's because of things like you mentioned. People I know that see Coca-Cola kind of, is harmful, yep, but I drink well, it. Exactly. And we, we need to talk about, uh, you know, ways of measuring harm because there's a lot of research that's been done on that. But on the subject of education, I think, what they just go on and do, and I wrote a little piece on this, uh, 04 News 24, like long time ago, um, on just listing the harms of a substance. And the example I used was I opened up an insert from a paracetamol tablet and read the side effects. And they pretty hectic when you do that. I mean, it will put you off paracetamol if, mm. if you thought that that's what will happen to you. So they list those effects of the drug and fundamentally that contradicts people's experiences especially the first couple of times that they use a drug people use drugs because drugs make you feel good people have good times on drugs so to say that all of these bad things are going to happen contradicts the the experience a person has and that results in a doubt of everything that the person has said they call into question everything that that person has said Quentin, let, let's let's start at the beginning okay so everyone's seen those adverts uh, cough syrup, you know, uses had cocaine in it. Coca Cola was the original, I would think, uh, product. Yeah, yeah. So you send your five year old in the eighteen nineties to the to the drugstore with five cents, and the five year old buys cocaine for his mom to cure her cough. Yeah. Uh, what the hell happened? You know. Well, we still have cough mixture with codeine in it, which is this an opiate, chemically identical to heroin, basically. Right. And you can buy that over the counter. But what, what was, why are drugs, um, you know, seen differently now? I'm talking about illegal drugs, obviously. Hmm. I mean, the, yeah. dr- the, the, the origins of the drug war are like, you know, a bit racist. Well, so super racist. Yeah, super racist. The blacks will come and rape white women if they take marijuana type racist. Yeah, uh, I think that was uh, pretty much the first uh, time we started to see uh, a war on drugs. I guess uh, the gentleman's name, I don't want to call him a gentleman, but his name is Harry Anslinger. He was the first drug czar of the U.S. And he had the campaign. It was with cannabis about making cannabis uh, an illegal substance. So before, I think it was like the 30s or something like that, cannabis was completely legal in the U.S. Um, he had some friends in um, like newspaper industries uh, who had uh, plantations that uh, produced paper, like pine plantations or whatever. And yeah, it they, was a commercial issue. Yeah, yeah. They just invented a machine that could take fibers and create paper from hemp, right? Which is uh, the same plant as cannabis, yeah. essentially. Um, and, I mean, there's conspiracy theories about that. I don't know if I buy into all of them, but you can certainly go look Harry Anslinger and the war on cannabis up. But one of the, the things he did do was talk about jazz musicians and how they seduce white women with promises of Miles Davis sounding grooves and marijuana and they're going to rape them. And they called it marijuana specifically because they were Mexican migrants and they wanted to also kind of, you know, take a stab at them. them in. Yeah, loop them into the whole thing. These and violent black and Mexicans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was really the origins of the 
cannabis criminalization and that sort of set the stage and, and also i mean from what i remember from that story it's exactly as you say hemp was going to be made into paper yeah. and a whole bunch of uh clothing Industrial, textiles yeah. and things and uh essentially it was directly in competition to his businesses and his right. interests so and he had a lot of friends in government etc and, and and that's kind of what got the ball rolling yeah so if he hadn't been around or, or hadn't been interfering with his interests, it, it, it may very well be legal. It, I think it is an important thing, you know, Ramon, to go back to the beginning. Oh, always look at the original intentions of yeah. of, of public policy, it, it, right? It's interesting sure. to see how we got to the point of it being yeah. such a, you know, a con- not even controversial, but it's just a banned substance and, you know. But, such but a, it was never about health. At the beginning, it was never it was about, about protecting interests. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't about health, and it wasn't about people even. Yeah, people didn't know what the health. Well, it's still not was. about health. Well, that's we're going to get into <laughs> right now. Yeah, but like hemp, for example, they made the first car bumpers out of hemp. You know, Ford had a, a car in the early 1900s, 1905, and the bumpers were made out of hemp, and they found that the hemp bumper could have uh, withstand much more impact than the steel ones or the aluminium ones that they had. And since then, they recently just made a car now from hemp. Oh, they oh. just started again. But anyway, um, yeah. So I mean, the drug, the origin, origins of the drug war are like highly racist and highly protectionist. Have you guys seen that series Narcos? Yes, I haven't, I haven't watched Narcos yet. So no Netflix and chill for me. Ah, well, one of the the main reasons cited as the 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 rationale for going uh, for Escobar was not that. He was creating a substance that hurt people. It was because he was taking so much money out of the states to Colombia. Necessarily, that was where the CIA got involved. Well, he was interfering with the CIA's racket, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. He was, he was encroaching on their turf. Like, yeah. like people, people say. Um, I keep telling people, you know, Afghanistan was under the control of the US for twelve years, and during that course of time, opium production increased. Oh yeah, it's now the biggest opium in producer in the world. In Afghanistan. When was the protectorate of, of the U.S.? Yeah, drug war. Mm. The CIA has sold drugs. You can look it up. It's there. Yeah, yeah, so to fund. I mean, while we are on the topic of the funding and the, and the economics of it, so it's interesting to me that government wouldn't look at something like uh, cannabis, which if you – look, they're going to regulate it. I, I might not necessarily agree with their regulation but the reality is if it becomes legal, you're going to have to accept that there's some regulation. Oh, you have to regulate. Reading about some of the regulations in Colorado, there's reg- huge regulations. You can't uh, – you have to get a license to sell it. You can't sell it if you've got a previous conviction. You have to – there's certain hoops you've got to jump through. So there's always going to be regulation to some mm-hmm. extent. Why doesn't the government do um, the logical thing and go after the money? Yeah, well – you would think you that would be the one thing that would motivate them, right? Because, I mean, I would, I would assume that drugs are, you know, essentially we, we are told, I don't have the figures in front of me, but we are told that it's worth billions it's of, or trillions yeah. of, of dollars worldwide a year, the, the sort of illegal drug trade, right? Um, and I, it's, it's odd to me that they wouldn't want to get some piece of the pie of that. Well, they do. They deal. They deal in drugs, mate. I mean, come on. We just said that. <laughs> well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, they're not always well, looped yes. in on the on the deal. Yes, the com- CIA might be. Yes, in your opinion. But and uh, now, Quentin, sorry, going back to you. We have a guest, and we're like ignoring him. Um, the drug war. Yeah, it, it, it's very pernicious. It gives a lot of power to the state. It gives a lot of power to the police. I think it gives a lot of power to a lot of dangerous people, as a yeah. matter of fact. And, and it gives a lot of power to, to gangsters, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, which I think is is morally better than giving power to the police, in my opinion. <laughs> Probably. But um, what, what effects of the drug war have we felt, other than increased 
increase drug use. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so you, if you want to go back to prohibition in the 20s when alcohol was made illegal in the state, they created one of the, the first billionaires, uh, which was Al Capone. So Al Capone was one of the richest people in the world at the time of the prohibition simply because he'd cornered the black market on alcohol production. And that's really one of my main um I guess gripes with the whole thing is that I'm not so worried about the guy who's going to go smoke a joint or even smoke tuck in his lounge and do whatever the hell he does. I'm more worried about the gangsters that live pretty much outside of where I work, fighting over drug territory, shooting people, shooting children. Um, they've created just a, a black market commodity and the black market's going to go in and fill that in. The gangsters now have lots of money. They can compete with the police in terms of the weapons that they can buy. Um, there's also drugs are more dangerous in their hands because there's no quality control. So we're not going to say that drugs are safe, but we can make drugs safer by quality controlling them. So I would argue that a pure medically grade um, like cannabis or heroin is safer than an adulterated form that will kill you. Like you don't know how strong the stuff it is you're getting. Um, or let alone what's in it, right? Yeah, what, what's in it, what yeah. it's cut with, all that kind of stuff. You could, if you had it as a commodity that you could buy in a shop, exercise regulations to quality control it. Um, another thing that's happened is that, you know, they've had to innovate in terms of the drugs they've gotten out there. So they start creating all this dangerous stuff in these labs. The rise of Nyopa is directly related to drug clampdowns. In Hawaii, there was a, an article recently about how they managed to successfully clamp down on cannabis. It was probably one of the first places that they've ever managed to do it successfully. I mean, it dried up for a while, but then it came back on the streets. And people switched to meth because of that. And that they created a huge meth, meth market. Meth, you know, it's interesting that islands seem to be the only places that can clamp down on any kind of sort of contraband. But... Um but, yeah, but yeah, the the side effects are, are not always. <laughs> so I mean that that's the black market uh, that I think is probably more dangerous than the person, the individual using a substance. All right, so we get we legalize the substance. That would be the argument. You legally regulate them. Yeah. Is there any substance you would be against legalizing? You know, again, like I think, I think we need to start somewhere, and we need to start somewhere small. And I'd like to see us start with cannabis. I don't know that South Africa is ready for full drug legalization. I really don't think that we're ready for that at our stage of development and our political situation. But um, I would not like to see any drug criminalized in the future, in an ideal world. Mm. No, I'm with you on that. I just, uh, as I talk about... You with, are? Well, I'm, I'm in, the, in the concept of it, in an ideal world, and as a uh, utopia, yes, I don't think any drug should be legalized, as a, uh, any criminalized. Um, but... Uh, but as I've said, uh, the side effects of dealing with that uh, problem mm. are potential. We see it with Nyape, okay? So uh, Nyape is illegal. Uh, I don't know why the, there seems to be such confusion in the media. What is Nyape? It's freaking heroin, people. It's heroin, yeah. It's heroin it's cut heroin with other smoked, shit. Smoked. It's usually cut yeah. with something like efavirenz, uh, which is an, which is an ARV, HIV, yeah. an HIV uh, drug, an ALV. Um, so it's, it's, it's heroin with other shit in it. Um, it's, uh, often mixed with dacha, which is why the two get confused. Sure. Um, yeah. uh, uh, but there seems to be lots of confusion. We don't know what it is. And we, so we don't know how to treat bullshit. Um, <laughs> but the point is, is, is that if you go into a township like Soweto where I've worked and, uh, it doesn't matter that it's illegal. You can buy it pretty much anywhere you like. You can smoke it or shoot it up anywhere you want. Usually it's smoking it. Um, and, it, it makes no difference. The The problem is, is that if you look at that as a microcosm, and this is where my concern comes in, we have no way of dealing with those addicts. 
Um, why is that though? Quentin, please. Well, again, because why, the why system no prejudices, the system prejudices punishment over healthcare. And that's what I said in the beginning. We've legislated a criminal problem out of what should be a health problem or what is a health problem. So there's no incentive to have rehab centers, right? Well, there is a financial incentive for the people who own them. But for the state, I think, and this is where the politics get involved, right? So um, the state loves to electioneer off drugs. Let's get tough on drugs. Let's get hard on drugs. Mm. Anytime we're about to have an election somewhere, they go to certain communities of a certain racial demographic and they pound the hard on drugs line. Um, Patricia DeLille had a huge billboard in Cape Town a a while back going on about she has a drug problem. And Mm. and it's, it's very popular to say you're tough on drugs. But you can be smart on drugs and not necessarily have to impugn on the rights of people um, by making it well, or just legislating it back to a health problem and letting people like yourself and myself, Jonathan, take mm. care of the health aspects of it. And I think we'll have a much better success rate than just locking people up. So, so I think also the point is even if you're pro-criminalization um, and you're anti the drugs, and I, and I think, Ramon, much as you know, we create a bit of an echo chamber here, um, there are people who will be listening who are anti-drugs. Um, but but yeah, the, sure. the, the, the thing is is, is – uh, and New York's a good example of this because as far as I know, they've decriminalized possession of marijuana. Um, and the thing is, is p- punishing an individual drug taker does nothing to change the prevalence of drugs or the use of drugs Absolutely in the general not. market. No. Um, and, and so that, that at least is a first step to, to, to going somewhere to at least decriminalize. You want to go, if you want to really go against drugs, if you want to have the war on drugs, which I agree with you has, hasn't worked. It's, it's very simple. Well, Factually, it, it hasn't worked. It has worked in increasing drug use. Okay. So for its purpose, it Ex- hasn't worked. Exponentially. Um, when are we going to have the war on something that's bad? Um, no. I think we, we should have the war on, uh, you know, like toplessness or something and then we can see that increase. Um, <laughs> Uh, but essentially, if, if we accept that it hasn't worked, the, what, who you really, if you want to have that war, you, you want to go after the kind of gang leaders you're talking about. But not they're the never individual. the ones that get busted. It's always the dude on the street. Yeah, with, we, we, because they're easy criminal, colors, right? criminal ma- And criminal masterminds are not criminal masterminds. <laughs> when I re- they have that name for a reason. They, no, they're no, not but, stupid. No, but you're, going, you're doing this wrong. Why yeah. go after gang leaders? Just take away the incentive to be in a gang. Yeah, by All right. uh, so, legalizing drugs. So, so absolutely. I'm just, I'm just showing the the different levels. I think of, because if of, you if you take out a gang leader, another one will come up, right? Yeah, that, that, a gap opens in the that, market, and we know that anytime there's a there's a gap in the market, someone's going to come in to fill that. In in the all the decades that we've been persisting with the rationale of trying to lock people up, trying to shoot people in South America and Mexico for criminal activities. We have never eradicated drug use, and I don't think we're going to eradicate drug use. I think that that's a utopian ideal. I think that it's bullshit political rhetoric, and what we really need to start doing is looking at what do drugs do that is harmful to people, yeah. and can we manage those things in other ways okay. using harm reduction strategies? 
But there's a good reason why we'll never get rid of drugs. It's because people people actually, like to people, do drugs. People yeah. fucking want to do drugs, right? Well, you Even mentioned wine earlier, right? So you guys drink. So you guys do drugs. Well, I don't. I don't drink wine. Too, yeah, honest. I'm, I'm not, not a huge <laughs> drinker. But uh, but uh, the, the 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 wines that were sent, uh, we'll we'll make a plan with our families. Yeah, <laughs> we do drink a lot. So of your wine. families are drug users. Yeah, my, well, <laughs> yeah, and I know. You see, here's sure I, I, medical if, doctors, if, especially. If we're gonna, yeah, we're actually. Um, Statistically, the highest drinkers at universities. Huh. Um, uh, anyone who does the medical sciences, um, and the most promiscuous, apparently. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, the the in terms of the the wine stuff and drug users, I suppose if you if you want to frame it that way, the the problem is he has a he has the thing, and it fits back into the arguments around marijuana. A lot of their arguments work against them, not necessarily in that they're bad arguments, but they also work against them in the psychology of, of people who needs, who need a, a mindset change. Yeah, sure. So, um, when you call someone who drinks alcohol a, a, a drug user, what, what you're saying is, okay, well, you, if you can identify yourself as a drug user and then identify, and then hopefully you identify with a marijuana user and you'll see that you're both the same. Uh, I don't think that that's what that does to the average alcohol drinker. I don't think that they want to see themselves as a drug user. Well, but they are a drug user. So yeah. we have to define what drug use is, right? Okay, so go for it. So drug use is taking an external substance to alter the chemicals in your brain. That's all That's all it is. It shouldn't be a dirty word. So by definition, if you drink alcohol, that's ex- uh, Using a drug. a drug. If you drink sure. coffee, it's a drug. I see Roman is busy vaping over here. If there's nicotine in that, you're busy doing drugs right now in my I, presence. I'm an uh, unavowed drug um, user. Okay. I've never, I never said otherwise. So, so we shouldn't say that using drugs is a dirty word. Using drugs is actually a normal human behavior. And, and this is where I get into the, the pathology aspect of it, right? Mm. So any form of psychological or psychiatric disorder mm. is basically, uh, a fluctuation in normative behavior to the extent that it causes a, Social or occupational deficit in the person's life. They can't function in their jobs or they can't function in their social relationships because of a normal behavior that's been taken to an extreme. So let me give you an example. Uh, let's say depression, right? So depression is a persistent low mood and there are a lot of associated symptoms with that, but basically it's debilitating and impairs a person to, uh, impairs a person's ability to work and to interact and function socially. But a sad mood is a normal thing. Right. Mm. So a sad mood is not depression because depression is debilitating in the same way that drinking alcohol is not being a drug addict or having an alcohol use problem. It's a normal behavior. Mm. But when you get to the extreme of that, then you have a problem. Right. Mm. Uh, and so that's how we should define it. You're an, you're a drug user. You're a drug user. I'm a drug user. Mm. But neither of, none of us have drug problems. We're functioning in our day to day lives. We can interact with our families uh, and friends, and we contribute in a meaningful way. To and, society. and you could argue that some people function better on drugs. Exactly. You could you could definitely make that point. So I mean, uh, and there's a lot of research on that. So um, let me give you another weird example. Every war um, that people have engaged in, they've pu- they've pushed drugs onto their sh- uh, soldiers. The U.S. currently gives amphetamine-like substances to their their fighter pilots because it increases their mental acuity, their concentration. They can stay awake for longer. The Nazis did exactly the same thing. They gave stimulants to their uh, soldiers to keep them up and to keep them, uh, you know, at least in a good mood despite all the bad shit that was going on around them. And so we have to make the distinction between normal drug use and drug problems. And there's no point in in criminalizing someone who's got either – because a person with a drug problem can get treatment and treatment works. 
if it's in the right environment. And if there's someone who's using any substance, and that's the norm actually, to use a substance without any problems. Mm. There's a guy called uh, Professor Carl Hart from the University of Columbia. Really badass guy. He's got some podcasts on like, Joe Rogan, I think. Um, so he he's spent his life researching drugs. He grew up in the States. He, he himself was a, a cocaine user in his youth. He used cocaine and alcohol, uh, went to the army, um, and then went to Columbia University, started studying psychology, came out uh, with all this research on the number of people that use drugs versus the number that have drug problems. And a drug problem is a small minority of people who use drugs, even hardcore drugs that we would think about like heroin or cocaine. The minority of users get addicted or experience problems. So with alcohol, the, the exact figure is 15%. 15% of people who drink alcohol will, will have some problematic form of use. The cannabis one is about 9%. And so we criminalize and we create all of these social issues because of a small minority of people. Mm. And I like to bring in, uh, like at this point in the debate, another example. So when I said taking drugs alters the chemicals in your brain by just introducing a substance into your body, we can alter our neurochemicals through all sorts of things, even just behavior. Uh, and I love the example of worshiping in church. Worshipping in church alters your brain chemicals. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the videos. I love to watch them because they're hilarious. Of people in like these really charismatic Christian churches freaking the hell out. I've seen one from South yeah, Africa. The evangelicals yeah, who yeah. kind of cure people from wheelchairs. Exactly. You know? uh, some people were drinking petrol in church and saying that it was pineapple juice a while back. That was like pretty weird to see. But they were having a chemical reaction in their brain. The serotonin levels went through the roof. The oxytocin levels went through the roof. The person went into a trance. And that's the same state as introducing a drug. So now let's make the argument. Well, drugs must be banned because certain people who enter into those states have problems. Well, we could argue that evangelical religion should be banned because certain people who go fundamentalists go and shoot up abortion clinics or fly planes into buildings. I agree. Just fully the... agree. We should just ban them all. That's it. That's <laughs> the end of the podcast. eh? <laughs> But it's the what, exact ban, same ban chemical states of the brain. <laughs> or ban all religions. I forgot. <laughs> I haven't been the listening. Second. Uh, second. So, yeah. So, it's this exactly the same chemical state uh, as someone who might use a, a serotonin uh, agonist, for instance. Yeah. So, how do we get over the sort of stigma, I suppose, that's, uh, that's you know, there is? Because nobody has that stigma around their church yeah, or their exactly. synagogue or whatever it happens to be, their mosque. Um, people don't have that stigma around that stuff. People don't have their stigma around their coffee in the morning. Exactly. They don't have, uh, there's a little bit of stigma around cigarettes now. Um, but I, I, you know, I think that's, it's, it's fair to have an acknowledgement at least that they ha that cause health problems. Of course. You, you can smoke them if you of want. Of course. Um, but, but how, so how do we get over the, what seems to be a, in terms of the picture you're painting, a relatively unfair stigma around drugs. Well, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's an unfair stigma. And I think the stigma is, again, one of the systemic implications and unintended results of the way we manage drugs as a society. So, I mean, and, you know, the funny thing is it's the people that carry the effects of the stigma on them. So I don't know if you guys know the comedian Mitch Hedberg, but he has this yeah. joke. He goes like... um Alcoholism is the only disease you can be shouted at for having. So like, damn it, Otto, you have lupus versus damn it, Otto, you're an alcoholic. And people, <laughs> and, and that's the thing. And that's the problem. So I think the stigma, which is an unintended consequence of a political, uh, 
means to try to curb drug use um, is one of the things we need to fight about. So I, I talk about using drugs when I say people drink because you're using a drug. And to remove that stigma is a very, very difficult thing. Many have tried and failed. So what's your reaction when you say that? That's what I, that's what I was hinting to earlier. What the do reaction, people do right. when when you when you call people drinking wine? Um, when you say that you're drug users? Well, yeah, most people I, I think are pretty defensive about that because they don't want to see themselves in that way, right? But <laughs> a fact is a fact. Um, actually, one guy who whose book I love, um, his name is Professor David Nutt. He wrote this book called um, "Drugs Without the Hot Air," and it's all about harm reduction strategies in in um, in healthcare. So he was a he's a British guy. Uh he was working for an advisory board that was supposed to advise the government on drug policy. That was his job. So he did the first ever study where he objectively measured the harmfulness of drugs. He rated the harmfulness of drugs along several different measures. So there was measures of harms to the individual, harms to other people, harms to society, even stuff like harms to the environment and um harms to like certain communities where the, the, the community is stigmatized because it's a druggy area type of thing. Um, he used a huge number of stats and did this multi-decision criterion analysis, I think it's called. That was his uh, statistical method. And so he rated, he, he came up with a, a list of all the drugs from most harmful to least harmful. Can you guys guess what was number one? Oh, cool. Exactly. Yes. Number two was depending on a sample because you have to use stats. Number two was either crack cocaine or heroin. Number three was tobacco. And so we know as a statistical fact that alcohol use and tobacco use kill more people than all illegal drugs combined. That's a fact. Well, arguably legal drugs kill more than illegal drugs. Exactly. Combined. Exactly. But he was fired when the results of this research came out because he, he was taken aback and he said, but hang on. We were taught to believe that illegal means bad and legal means okay. Whereas it's not the case. The legality versus illegality of a substance has no bearing on its actual harmfulness. Stuff that was way towards the bottom of the list. You, you really hear sensationalized stories. So LSD, which is uh, a psychedelic hallucinogen, is way towards the bottom of uh, Professor Nutt's list. But anytime someone takes acid and does something crazy, it's a huge press story, right? And, um, and that's part of the problem, really. Um, the the other interesting thing to mention about that study is he went and then he studied um, horse riding and he used the same decision criteria analysis on horse riding to see its harm to others, cost to the state for medical care for people who've fallen off their horses. And horse riding came up as more harmful than taking ecstasy, which I was uh, quite shocked to hear. But nevertheless, that was the statement that lost him his job because people were like, whoa, 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 you can't say, you can't compare horse riding to an illegal drug. That's bullshit. You can't make that comparison. That's an illegal substance. That's a banned thing. Uh, and really, all it is is an arbitrary distinction that some person with a pen and a piece of paper has signed into legislation. Mm, without government told us it was illegal. Exactly. Yeah, without exactly. really understanding the implications of it or, in fact, even in some cases, the chemical constituent of the drug. Um, cannabis was banned long before that even isolated any of the chemical compounds in it. And that was at the UN, like in the 60, 61 or something like that. Mm. So, I mean, to me, that doesn't, that shows that the policies are not based on evidence, really. They but, just thumbs up. But of course they're not. Most, most policies aren't. But, but Quinton, I mean, I want to talk about what myths there are 
about okay. drugs, right? Sure. So people, you hear about, you know, marijuana is like the gateway drug. Okay. You, you start off with that and then you'll yeah, become yeah. like a, a hardcore addict. For or sure. Or you use heroin once and you're hooked for life. And, the you know, if you get, get off heroin even for two minutes, you're going to die. So yeah, yeah. Why are those not true? So which one should we go, go for first? Let's go for well, let's the… Let's start with marijuana. Okay, yeah. let's start with the gateway drug. So the gateway drug… Uh, and they call it the gateway theory, but really it's more of a hypothesis. It, it doesn't explain a relationship. So I've never read a study or heard an articulate argument as to the mechanism behind that. So the argument is you smoke cannabis and you're then going to go and use other drugs, right? And again, in that argument, they always make the distinction between legal and illegal drugs. So even if you've tried alcohol first or you've tried tobacco first, cannabis is the gateway drug arbitrary distinction that's uh, complete bullshit so they don't make that distinction because it's inconvenient to that argument um and also uh, fundamentally at the neurochemical level your your brain doesn't know what's a legal drug or an illegal drug right so the research has shown that there's no chemical constituent of cannabis that increases drug-seeking behavior for other drugs and it doesn't even really make sense cannabis is its own class of drug it's kind of a hallucinogen but not really so it acts on the cannabinoid system in the body, and we have receptors for all of these drugs, basically, in our brains, so and other parts of our body as well. So to say that a, a drug that acts on a completely different system then makes you want to take cocaine, which acts on the dopamine system primarily, or heroin, which is an opiate, and acts on the endorphin system... It doesn't really make sense. And I can't make the link with neuroscience because there is no link. And sure, we know that we can't look at neurochemicals in isolation. The brain is not uh, a vacuum. All of the levels of different neurotransmitters affect the levels of others. Mm. But it's it's simply not the case. Although what we do know is most people who've used cocaine and heroin have also used cannabis in the past. And I think that's where they, they get the distinction. But it's not to say that cannabis is what push them to do that well yeah it's a false extrapolation it is right? it's, it's completely a, false it's a non-sequitur in fact yeah it's like saying uh, i rode a bicycle and that was the gateway to me having a motorcycle if accident so, if someone makes the argument well i went because it's illegal right so yeah. i went and got my illegal sort of marijuana from my uh, drug dealer and i did that a few times and then he offered me some oh, yeah. uh, some some heroin I, I suppose that's the closest you'll get to any reasonable actual link yeah, in that way, I mean, in that way, I agree. But that's a person-related thing. It's got nothing to do with the drug. Exactly, and and people, I, I think it's better explained by personal factors. So, if we look at at psychological research, there's certain traits we can isolate in people and test using psychometric assessment. It has uh, obviously its limitations, but a trait like openness to experience. So, someone who's high in openness to experience might be more likely to experiment with other drugs. Same as a person who's high in sensation seeking. So he might take cannabis and it's not really his thing. He's got a, a proclivity for, um, you know, more dangerous or more sensation producing substances and we'll go for heroin. Yeah, and we can the explain adventure that. gene, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Isolated. So we can explain that in terms of personal factors, but I've never heard a coherent argument that explains the gateway theory or the gateway hypothesis rather in terms of, um, what, what, something to do with cannabis itself, a part of the drug, a chemical constituent. So, I think it's complete bullshit. What I will say is that people use what's available to them. So if you're in a community and the guys are pushing Tuk, you're going to use Tuk. If they're pushing Niope, you're going to use Niope. If they're pushing Ludes, you're going to use Ludes or Mandrax, as we call it here. Mm. And regardless of whatever drug you use first, 
it, it just has no logical basis whatsoever, that hypothesis. Okay. What else is a myth? Mm, you mentioned the thing about withdrawing from heroin, right? So, I mean, look, heroin withdrawals are distressing to people. And I think most most of the time, if you're a heroin user, what I recommend is that a person goes through at least a period of detox if you're if you have a physical dependence on the heroin. Um, you know, if you're a heroin user that can use it without a physical dependence, then you don't need that. But um, a dependency is basically a, uh, you know, about homeostasis, right? So it sends the homeostasis of the system out of whack and you, it creates all these physical symptoms. People have dramatized the, the heroin withdrawals in, you know, popular culture, movies like Requiem for a Dream and stuff like that. Whereas in most cases, it, the best thing to do is just get that person into an environment where they're Okay, probably when there's a medical professional, or hopefully there would be a medical professional uh, present, Mm. but it's not going to kill them if they go cold turkey. A lot of people do go cold turkey and they survive. Alcohol is actually one of the worst ones to go cold turkey off because people get these hectic seizures. Mm, Something called delirium tremens. Yeah, yeah, delirium tremens. So um, that one is not really spoken about that often. Like if you want to kick alcohol in in that sense, you definitely need medical intervention. Mm. It's it's too difficult to do it on your own. Look, I, I think medically, just to, you know, I've seen drug withdrawal, both from alcohol and other drugs. Um, and, you know, the reality is it's it's individualized. So sure. um, I agree with you on the alcohol uh, sort of aspect. If you've been drinking, it's funny with how people view alcohol and, and not being addicted or what's normal. Yeah. Um, so often, you know, you often come across patients who tell you they have two or three whiskeys a night. Uh, and they view that as completely normal. It's not a, seen as an abnormal mm-hmm. behavior. The wife doesn't uh, see them as an alcoholic. Kids think dad's completely fine. Um, and that's enough. Uh, do that for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, or 10, uh, you know, obviously different on um, different patients. But you do that for long enough and, and, that, and your body. But that's body, the point on different patients. Sure. Right? Your body becomes completely addicted to that substance. Now, and that's where it also becomes to different patients again. One heroin addict is not the same as the next heroin yeah, yeah. addict. And if you've got a you know, an underlying cardiac defect, as an example, the stress oh, of going sure. through a detox on any drug uh, may be enough to kill you in that sense. Mm. Uh, you know, or you may end up having a heart attack as a result of it because of the, the stress it places on the body. But I, I think, as you say, to to um, say, you know, detoxing from heroin is a dangerous thing to do. So once you're on the drug, you're screwed, basically. You can't get off even well, if you want Well, people feel like they're screwed. That's the thing. So yeah. those those symptoms of withdrawal are really distressing to people. And so that, that actually, um, you know, keeps the cycle of using going in, in, in those kind of more severe drugs. Whereas many drugs, like, let's say, um, nicotine withdrawal, it's unpleasant. A person is moody. They lose a bit of sleep. Um, that's uh, analogous to uh, the book I read many years ago, but it was 48 hours is your addiction to actual physical addiction to nicotine. Okay. And the beyond the 48 hours, the, the rest of it is, is, psychological, is a psychological yeah. addiction. Yeah. It's that sort of hand to mouth type mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, these, uh, the, the the myth about coming uh, coming off these is 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 it seems to also lack any evidence. Yeah, it doesn't really. It's I mean it's been dramatized and um, another thing that I think is interesting. You mentioned the this normative drinking, right? How do we get to this? I think what what has a lot uh, or we should blame is advertising really. And I loved watching alcohol ads, man. I, I like watching football. And every every time I watch football, there's there's an ad for a certain brand of beer, which I happen to drink. So I don't know if the two are connected. 
but uh, the guys are having a massively amazing time. No one's puking. No one's getting into <laughs> fights. And I think they should show these alcohol ads like at after a night of drinking at 2 in the morning, you know, when everyone's doing bad stuff. And I think that would would really uh, drive the message home that yeah, we can't we can't take it yeah. we can't take it for granted that it's okay, but we show people having a great time and and that's one of the reasons cigarette advertisements oh, were, were banned. Those ads, they were great. So uh, doctors, more doctors smoke camel than any. Not those ads. I miss the Peter Stuyvesant ads, man, with the helicopters and the skiing. What you <laughs> even Santa Claus smoked Marlboro for like a few years. I remember that. But but Quentin, I want to talk now about legal drugs. Okay. If if I don't know if that is your, maybe oh. not area of expertise, but maybe you know a little bit about okay. it. Um, in in the US at least. Legal drug addiction is like a huge issue. Especially the opiates, the painkillers. Indeed, yeah. and the antidepressants and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do we have any data to show, uh, not correlation, I, I mean, to, to, uh, lost my train of thought. South Africa? Yeah, or? with South Africa, but just to show between illegal drugs and legal drugs, like the harm in each group, so to speak, is it, um, is it quite the same? Is it vastly different? Well, I think we could, we could do that kind of research fairly easily in South Africa, but we don't have people that are doing it. So you could take the exact same research methodology that Professor David Nutt used and look at the people who are on, let's say, legal painkillers uh, the opiate of the opiate variety, which they have a huge problem with in the States, and then rank those harms in comparison to other drugs. And that would be a fairly easy thing to do, and that would, I think, guide policymaking in a more rational kind of way. But we don't do that because policy is not guided by uh, research. It's guided by emotions and the whims of whoever signs that piece of paper. So, mm, Public perception, as yeah. we discussed in previous podcasts, public perception leads to policy. Yes, yes. Because I, I do find it interesting because I do think if research is published to show that um, legal drugs are actually almost as harmful or more harmful. Well, the research is there for alcohol and tobacco, certainly. Uh, right, of course. Yeah, of course. it's there. But but legislatures don't internalize that and see, oh, wait, there's a bit of a funny you know, quirk here. Well, imagine a legislator going, hey, guys, uh, so we've got this whole drug thing wrong for the past however long, and we kind of misled you in certain ways, and we've taken your family members and put them in jail because we thought we were doing the right thing, but we've realized we're not. Uh, I can't imagine a scenario where that would happen. And that's why I think people like us need to speak out about that kind of thing. I mean, that's why I hate Obama so much. As a student, he was a massive drug user. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. Massive drug user. Bush books, as well. Bush, as, they're all massive drug users. And Obama comes out in his speech and says, oh, we mustn't treat, you know, mistreat people as patients and not criminals. Yeah, what what the hell has he ever done to try to... to um, well, if Barack limit. Obama was a poor black dude living in the slums of California oh, or New York, he wouldn't have been in prison. Oh, he he would have been in prison for his drug problem, right? And that's another fundamental problem with it is that certain groups are prejudiced in, on the, in the war on drugs, whereas others kind of get away scot-free. There's a huge um, travesty in the States about the, the crack cocaine versus cocaine uh, sentencing guidelines, right? So crack cocaine and, and cocaine are basically the same drug they have the exact same effects on the brain one is slightly uh, more concentrated than the next and it's mm. made into like a, a rock whereas yeah. another one is a powder but it's the same effect same everything but crack users uh, get way more severe penalties than cocaine users and that's just a political game and i don't want to go into conspiracy type of stuff but 
there is an argument that it's been targeted specifically at certain race groups, particularly African Americans in that in that instance. Well, I mean, if you if you compare it to the origins of the drug war, I wouldn't surprise me at all. No, I mean, no, cocaine not at all. is 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 used extensively by by black Americans. Yeah, and cocaine is used by actors in Hollywood. Do you ever see an actor in Hollywood go to prison? No, they go to the Betty Ford Clinic, right? Yeah, and then, then then they make Iron Man ten years later and become <laughs> ridiculously rich. What a legend! Uh, all right, so. We've got five minutes. I want to get on to the kind of uh, the the fact that drugs sometimes do have negative effects sure. because we're not denying Obviously, that yeah. side at all. No, um, I, I actually went and looked up, you know, what's happened in Colorado after after um, uh, the legalization there, and there are some negative effects. Uh, Ramon's referred to some positive effects in the past. The bottom line is. Bad things can happen. Okay. Sure, sure. So we're saying we we legalize the drug, but we're not ignoring the fact that those things exist. We're going to treat people. So let's get into a little bit of, about treatment and how we treat drug addicts. Okay, as so people, I mean, you know, well, <laughs> as people, you know, one of the things that doesn't necessarily happen, and I'm so glad that there are some rehab centers out there and even state institutions at Stackfordtain Hospital, for instance, they have a fantastic dual diagnosis unit where they treat people with co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse problems. And that's what we should be doing. We need professionals, doctors, psychologists, social workers associated with, you know, that use the biopsychosocial model to treat health, uh, mental health illnesses and addiction should be treated like all of those. You, you review a psychiatrist, you see a psychologist, social workers get involved, occupational therapists help get your life back on track, and it really has to be a, a multidisciplinary uh, treatment system. And the only way we can accomplish that is if we change the way we think about people who use drugs. And as long as we keep sending resources to the police and correctional services, us in healthcare, our hands are pretty much tied. I've tried at Rahima, uh, where I work, to get um, a, a little substance abuse program started for adolescents in our clinic. And the barriers we ran into were, mo- were mainly like staff uh, complement, too few people, and funding for places where we could go with these kids. And so really, I would like you, to you see You couldn't get funding for children, basically. The resources need to get diverted away from the penal system mm. to the health system to manage I the just drug wanna, I just want people to understand how crazy that is. Yeah. You were trying to help kids with a drug addiction problem, and you couldn't get funding. Well, I mean, the, the I mentioned the treatment clinics in that community closed down. We were there in December. They were packing their bags, and they were like, well, we can't get any more funding. And that community is in serious need of that. Just tell us how young some of the kids were. Well, jeez, uh, I don't really want to get into that. I think it's a little bit of a confidential. Okay. I could, you know, but, break but, confidential. But, uh, but, 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 look, uh, well the youngest, under 18. Yeah, the youngest Niope user I've seen is 12 that I've seen. Um, yeah. And I'm sure they are much younger out there. Yeah. And, and so what happens to the, a person like that? It's, it's kind of, um, it really just depends who you, who gets to you first. So if you're on the way to a clinic, right, and you come to me, I'm the psychologist, I sit there and you tell me, listen, I've got a a drug problem. There's no way in hell I'm going to call the police and I don't know any professional working in healthcare that would do the same. So we give you treatment, we get you to the right places, we and we help you out. But if the police catch you on your way to the clinic with whatever you've got in your pocket, you go to jail. And in jail, there are drugs in jail. And in jail, you join gangs so you don't get raped. 
And when you come out, you probably still have an untreated substance addiction. You might have had new drugs that you've been exposed to and are now addicted to. The cycle is going to continue. And plus, you've got a criminal record. So how do you enter the job market? So what Portugal has done so effectively and why their drug policy is held up as the gold standard across the world is that a person who uses drugs, if you're caught by the police, you don't go to jail, you don't get a fine, a social work intervention happens. So you have to be at a certain place. They do a proper assessment on you. So they determine whether you're just using drugs and you're okay and you're functioning or whether you have an actual drug problem and you need help then they offer you help. They don't coerce you into help. And then you get proper medical and psychological, psychiatric and social treatments and interventions for that. Then you're discharged. But what we find with people who are discharged after a drug problem is now they've got nothing on, nothing going on in their life really. And it's way easier to go back to what you were doing before because you're just kind of stuck in and thrown into a world where now you, you've not been functioning in society You've got the this kind of pressure to do something. You don't know what to do. So in Portugal, they subsidize work for people like that. So if you're a mechanic, they, they'll say, okay, this garage will pay 20% of this person's salary if you hire them on. And they check up regularly just to see that their drug use isn't a problem. And it works. They, they had at one instance, I think it was almost 1% of the population were using heroin. And they've halved drug addiction rates in 10 years. Wow, that's uh, that's that's so pretty it goes incredible. To show so it treatment works. works, but criminalization will never work. You don't send drugs to jail; you send people to jail, and that's why we can't we can't arrest our way out of this problem. Sure. No, I, I think it is one of the, if I may say, one of the great human rights violations violations yeah, of, sure, of our time. Yeah, for sure. Of the twentieth century, by far, by far. Is there anything in the drug war that you do think, you know, there are good consequences of? Is anything that actually works in well, the drug war or, well, or not really? Well, for them, the drug war working would be eradicating drugs. And <laughs> it hasn't worked. It's gotten way worse. So, no, I don't think the drug war has, has helped anyone, really. I think it's had way more unintended harms. I don't think they set out with uh, with these goals in mind to create huge murderous cartels and black markets and a system where people can't access health care and uh, private prison systems like you have in the States that profit directly off incarcerating people. They didn't set out with that intention. Well, maybe they did if you're a conspiracy theorist. Or, but or civil asset forfeiture. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. last year, the, the states in America took more property from citizens than burglars did. <laughs> <laughs> the state uh, is the biggest burglar uh, or robber. You know, you just got to throw in the anarchist in there just at the end. Facts, mate. Facts. Yeah. Data. Stats. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, Thank you. Hey, Quentin. thanks, guys. Really thanks for having me. It was a good time. No, um, thanks, Quinton. Um, you got heroin on you. Um, uh, no, unfortunately not. But we could pretty much go down the road somewhere, and I'm damn sure we Perfect. can find some. Wine, heroin. We had a tough lot past. No, wine is easy. We had a, we had a tough past two weeks being accused of all sorts of things. We need, okay. we need you maybe need something to take the edge off. Hey? Indeed. Oh, no, you can get it. And that's the, that, and that's the irony. You can Perfect. get it. Regardless of how much money we throw at the police to, to lock these people up, you can get it. There's never been a time you couldn't. All right. Uh, can we find you? You want to be found on social media or you want to be left alone? Don't want to be found. All nope. right. Quinton doesn't want to be found. Uh, you can find the Renegade Report at Renegade underscore report. Ramon at Roman Kabanek. Or Lord Ramon. Or Lord Ramon. Yeah, they just type that into Twitter. Uh, at Jonathan underscore wit. We will see you next time. Like us on Facebook. Rate us on 
iTunes because you want to, and we are entitled to it. Thanks so much. Bye. Central. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.